the grinning gap, which basically is is a vagina. Yes. So you know. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley, and the whole crew is back this week. Peter is here. Kind of. Well, okay, he's here physically, mentally, virtually. He, he's kind of here. <laughs> I'm about I'm about two percent of each of those. And Cecil's here. I'm I'm partially here. I'm very tired. So together, are Cecil and Peter one entity then? Because you're each only part? Well, we'll form some kind of Voltron. I'm going to take a lot of crap for this. I always like the vehicle Voltron better than Lion Voltron. I'm sorry. Boo! Sorry, I like the characters better. But anyway. Of course you did. So if you guys want to help out the show, we have a Patreon. And also, you can go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME. D-R-O-M-E. And you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. All you have to do is use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. So tonight, we're going to take a kind of a different approach to something. Peter missed this episode, but about a year ago, two years ago maybe, Cecil and I talked to Richard Stanley, a director all of us admire. We talked about his career. Well, I've been digging into his career, and this guy... Yeah, I'm going to say it. His career is almost the same as Orson Welles. He is one of the most screwed-over writers and directors in Hollywood. And I also think he's an absolute visionary and never has gotten the credit that he's that he deserves. So we're going to look at all, and there's a lot, all of the projects Richard Stanley never got to make for one reason or another. So just a little bit of history quick here. Richard Stanley made hardware. Three of us, I think I can safely say all, all three of us love. Oh, yes. yeah, hardware is excellent. Then he made Dust Devil, which, again, I think all three of us love. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then he made the first two weeks of, of Island of Dr. Moreau, and that was more or less the end of his career, other than some music videos, short films, things like that. He did so much more that never happened. For one, he was offered the chance to direct the Stallone Judge Dredd movie, which he turned down, and I find that super ironic, considering 2000 AD sued him over plagiarizing hardware, so it's kind of <laughs> funny that he would be offered Judge Dredd, but whatever. And then he was offered, and Cecil will defend this even though he's 100% wrong, Stanley turned down the chance to direct Spice World, and I gotta say, that's the only way I might have enjoyed Spice World. Uh, you know what? I as as much as I like Spice World because it's such a goofy movie, I, his version. How could that not be something on another plane of existence? Richard I, it's Stanley hard to imagine. Spice, I can't even fathom what his version would have been. Like, because it totally would have been, I mean, it was a smart decision for him to not do, because it would have been an Island of Dr. Moreau situation where he would have had his ideas and they would have been like, no, we need to make this family movie or spice, you know, we need to make this for the audience. You know, like, no, let's, yeah, they need to make this for girl power. And, and he would be putting like some of his weird spin in there. So the only way that I, I would like him to have been able to do it is if he was given complete 100% 
artistic freedom. If he was able to do whatever he wanted, I think Spice World probably would have been just mind-blowingly something unlike anything else you could even compare it to. Well, the same could be said for if he got a, if he actually directed the Judge Dredd movie too. Like, I'm sure he did that because he he declined it because he didn't want to do a PG Dredd. He likely wanted to do something more along the lines of like hardware. Judge Dredd was rated R. It doesn't feel like it. But it was. It, it was, but it yeah. It feels I mean, very cut to shit. Even well, for an R movie, like it feels tame because Rob have, Schneider's in it. He may have turned it down also because he could see that Stallone really armchair directed the whole thing. He did, and yeah. He also had already encountered that sort of ego for a project that never happened. So I think, yeah, Stallone was probably the deal breaker on that. Obviously, he loves H.P. Lovecraft. He loves Dr. Moreau, you know, H.G. Wells. There's a weird reason he loves Island of Dr. Moreau so much, besides just the fact that it's an interesting story. So this is going to get a little complicated, but so Richard Stanley is the great-grandson of famous explorer Henry M. Stanley. Henry M. Stanley was the basis in Joseph Conrad's novel Heart Heart of Darkness, which, you know, later became Apocalypse Now, for Colonel Kurtz. H.G. Wells, H.G. Wells said that Moreau was based on Kurtz. So in a way, it's part of his family legacy. Does that make sense? I actually never yeah. even knew that. That's that's really cool. Doesn't he? He talks about it a little bit in Lost Soul. Island of Dr. Moreau, in a roundabout way, is based on his great-grandfather, sort of. Huh. Kind of, almost, maybe. So let's start looking at some of the projects. Now, these aren't necessarily in chronological order of how they failed, when they failed, and whatnot. At one point in the 1990s, he he adapted a Solomon Robert E. Howard Solomon Kane as a script and sold it to Edward R. Pressman. Edward R. Pressman is the producer, among many other things, of the 80s Conan movies. Daniel Day-Lewis was going to star in it. It was going to be the next movie he made after Dr. Moreau. Unfortunately, after Dr. Moreau, his name was Poison, so his Solomon Kane never happened. That would have been really great. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis, as far as I know, has never turned in a bad performance like that would have been. And just interesting to see Richard Stanley's directing style of of a Robert E. Howard property. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I'm down with that too. I think that would have been great. I would have loved to have seen uh, his version because there was a uh, a Solomon Kane movie that uh, had its own production problems. Came out. Finally, it, it was supposed to be out in 2008. I think it didn't finally it didn't get released until like 2015 or something. Which was actually it was good. It was a shame that for whatever reason the studio just sat on it. But uh, I think uh, his version probably would have been really cool too. And he also wrote unproduced screenplays or a- a- adaptations, adapted Peter Straub's novel. Shadowland. He adapted Clive Barker's novel The Damnation Game. He adapted Philip K. Dick's The The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. Mm. He adapted Flicker by Theodore Rozick. He adapted Cocaine Nights by J.G. Ballard. And he adapted The Great God Pan by Arthur Machen. None of those ever got passed. I turned in the script and got paid. And that's a shame, man. Yeah, those are some great um, the things that really would have fit his aesthetic really well. But this sometimes happens. 
Remember when we talked to Fred Decker and he said, you know, even though if you look at his IMDb, there's those giant gaps where five, six years go and there's nothing, would say, no, I was writing screenplays that whole time. I kept getting paid. They just didn't get made. Seems like that's how Stan Lee kept paying his rent, writing screenplays <laughs> that never got made. It happens more often than the general public is aware of. Like, there are a lot of writers and whatnot, too. If you do look at their career, there are these gaps. But it's like, then you either talk to them or you manage to look into it a little bit further. And it's like, oh, yeah, they wrote a bunch of screenplays that never happened. They started production on something that fell apart. And so it just and it doesn't get listed on the IMDb because it never was made. Well, but then there's also... God, it just, it makes you just wonder, look at how many garbage movies get made. And then you look at all of what these are, you know, I mean, we obviously don't know what they'd be like, but potentially great movies never got made. It really bugs you. Well, I think in general, it's because they're risky. His stuff is always, I, I don't want to, like, edgy has such a bad connotation to it, but really his stuff, it is very edgy, meaning that it pushes the edge, not that it's intentionally Lincoln Parky edgy. What he ends up doing, like a lot of these things, they're not really well-known mainstream properties. But we're talking very... Clive Barker and Philip K. Dick and Peter Straub. These are not tiny names he's adapting here. Right, but even they have a hard time, you know, I mean, unless they get put into multi-million dollar huge productions like Total Recall and, and even like as much as we know Clive Barker, his stuff still isn't really mainstream. It's, no. it's known amongst horror fans and whatnot, but a lot of people, uh, when you think Clive Barker, they'll think Hellraiser and that's about it. You know, they don't go, uh, into, uh, all the other stuff that he's done. So, and all the other properties that he's worked on and stuff that he's written. So I think that, but in general, what I'm saying about Richard Stanley is that content that he's doing is stuff that it's a hard sell to a studio because they can't really see beyond the, the marketing and the toys and the licensing and all that anymore. So when they get presented with something unusual like that, not really going to jump on it. He also, I guess he can't leave the Dr. Moreau thing alone. In 2007, this isn't Dr. Moreau, but it, you, you'll be able to see the parallels immediately. He wrote a novel that to this date remains unpublished called The Green Avatar, which deals with, quote, genetically engineered animals, absentee parents, and fake messiahs, unquote. Huh. Wow, we see in some Moreau parallels there? A little hmm. bit, yeah. I think a lot bit, Peter. Yeah. The one that, that really started me off on this was we have to look at the movie Hard Target. Yes, Richard Stanley had nothing to do with Hard Target. Hard Target is the reason I started looking into all this. So, Richard Stanley wrote a screenplay. I've seen it listed as both Nemesis, nothing to do with the Oliver Grunier movie, or as Steel Donkeys. Steel Donkeys is a slang term in Africa for for certain kinds of ghosts, and that's what this dealt mm. with. It was going to be a Sam Raimi-directed, Jean-Claude Van Damme starring movie where Jean-Claude Van Damme is a bank robber who he and his crew get trapped in a vault when they accidentally steal an African artifact which releases a demon and slowly starts body swapping and killing everyone in the bank. And I thought, this sounds great. And it was Jean-Claude Van Damme that was the reason this didn't happen. His ego kept rewriting the script, and eventually Sam Raimi would move on to Hard Target. Now you're going to go, Josh, Sam Raimi didn't direct Hard Target. No, he didn't. John Woo did. But Hard Target was John Woo's first American film. The studio didn't have confidence in John Woo, you know, not being able to speak English and being his first American film and his biggest budget film ever, and working with big stars, American stars, well, Belgian stars, and all that. <laughs> so Sam 
Raimi was tasked as sort of a co-director who wouldn't do anything unless it was necessary. So mm. Sam Raimi was on set every day of Hard Target, working with John Woo and Jean-Claude Van Damme, just making sure that John got everything done. And it was after all this that Sam Raimi said he'll never work with Jean-Claude Van Damme again. Richard <sighs> Stanley, after his dealings, said he'll never deal with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And John Woo has said Jean-Claude's ego was out of control on that movie. So oh, we didn't man. get Steel Donkeys because Jean-Claude Van Damme's a jerk. Whoever. That's, un- that's unfortunate because that really sounded like an interesting project and something very new, especially for the time. I mean, I love Hard Target. I think that's it's one of Van Damme's best movies, but it's just unfortunate to think about uh, how much he was a prick on set and how they had to keep rifling through different directors to actually get a movie made just because of one man's ego. His ego was so bad on Hard Target, he literally told an interviewer, because he had a he had the movie recut for him. You know, John Woo had nothing to do with the cutting, neither did Sam Raimi. And they cut out a whole lot of Lance Henriksen as the villain. Mm. And I'm quoting here, people come to see me. They don't come to see Lance Henriksen. <sighs> That's really yeah. annoying. He got a good a good kick to the ego, though. I mean, it really there's been a lot of actors and whatnot who have unfortunately been like that, where they'll get to a point of where they're just insulated and they oh I can do whatever I want. And and Stallone was another one who took a nice kick to the ego and it brought them down and humbled them. And now because of that, they're much more relatable. They're they're you know, they become people that they probably should have been from the get go brings them down back down to earth. Oh, wait, I'm not this infallible action star i am a human being and and i should stop treating everybody else like garbage because he's a lot more humble now and appreciative of of his audience and thankful that he still has an audience i think that it's a really cool idea it's a shame do you guys ever see the the um the work print cut of uh hard target yeah uh, no. it, it, it is better no no personally it's, for Har- it's better it's it's longer it's better and it's a <laughs> lot more violent i was about to say yeah that, that's all the stuff the mpaa had them take out oh sweet. yeah to me, if Hard Target, it's Lance Henriksen and Arnold Vosloo. They have such an amazing chemistry together. I, I agree with Sam Raimi at one point said, I kind of want to just see a movie with these two characters. Yeah, they're awesome. They yeah. really do like connect really well as, as like a villain duo. They're excellent. Really, really great pair up. We weren't really ready for it, but I could see them doing a dual villain movie now. Unfortunately, they're both, they're not old, but I think that they would, they're too old to do it now. Well, I mean, Vosloo uh, still looks the same. Va- well, yeah, Vosloo. I think Vosloo's actually a mummy. Really, I was gonna, I was just gonna say that I think Vosloo is Imhotep. Like, he <laughs> just, he hit a, he hit about 40 and then just stopped aging. Now we have a weird one called The Bones of the Earth that wasn't made. It was supposed to be, according to Stanley, a medium to high budget British action thriller. It was completely insane. It was about these, the, the ring of standing stones in western Scotland associated with the Queen of Winter, the folkloric dark lady, grandmother of the clans and guardian of the wild herd. No hunter may slay a stag without her warrant, and an offering or libation is made each year on on the 11th of September. He points out this was written in the 90s, so don't equate that to what we know of as September 11th. Scottish-British action movie that, quote, had the American president, the Highland Ball, the Balmoral Castle, and 20,000 tons of flesh-eating nerve gas. Huh. He he called it Think Straw Dogs Meet First Blood. And wow. it was originally going to star Richard Harris and Guy Pierce, but just never happened. Wow. Well, that sounds a little bit like The Rock. 
Kinda, yeah. Well, yeah, the kinda, whole like, yeah. gas threat kind of thing. Yeah, isolated area, you know. Yeah, I could, I could see that. That would have been really good. I, I'm just, it's always sad when it's, all right, here's a really cool, unique idea that we might be able to do something with. Oh, no, there's the life, the, the secret life of pets too is coming out. You know, like, like, <laughs> come on. How about this one? Vi, V-I-Y. This is, this is from Richard Stanley. Quote, a low budget British Yugoslavian vampire movie originally huh. conceived as a collaboration with scribe Troy Kennedy Martin. Vi is a vampire story set in a war zone, pouring its main inspiration from the Russian novelist Nikola Gola's short story. The main character is a Red Cross doctor serving in Kosovo who causes the death of a local woman and then must serve in a three-night wake next to her body. Eventually, Vi will appear. The film is set in the present day in Central Europe and involves a team of United Nations blue helmets in the midst of a disintegrating Europe safeguarding a Bosnian Muslim safe haven who fall prey to Vi. It's the same speed as Dust Devil, but a little different. The whole thing is told as a testimony at the war crimes trial later. People try to explain what happened in a Rashomon style. That actually would have been really cool. That's an interesting blend of, like, contemporary politics and wartime with, like, cool vampire stuff. And a nice nod to vampire lore, like, beginning in Serbia, kind of, to begin with. Like, that's where a lot of the folklore came from. So that would have been really cool. Yeah, I think that sounds awesome. Again, it's it's just sad. It's like, oh, here's another great thing that we'll never have. You know, and then there was the obviously unmade Hardware 2 Ground Zero, which mm. Richard Stanley again points out is obviously its pre-9-11 working title. And he talked about that in our interview, but that this was basically dealing with immigration and robots patrolling a wall to keep um, everyone out of America. Ah, oh, that sounds like a great, like, dystopia flick. But then there was Wastelander, low-budget American horror thriller, Dust Devil Does Arizona, this time with better songs, unquote. Just knowing Richard Stanley and his he comparing it to Dust Devil, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, it's good enough for me. This next one kind of got made, but not really. It's called The Sea of Perdition. It was a low-budget Anglo-American sci-fi epic concerning mankind's abortive efforts to terraform the angry red planet. It was going to be made, and then Sunshine came out, and then Sunshine died at the box office, so they didn't want to do Sea of Perdition. But Sea of Perdition did get made as a nine-minute short film, directed by Richard Stanley. So this one sort of still happened. More than likely, it probably was done as a pitch. Like, here's here's a short, because how many, how many shorts have been made into full productions? You know what, I can do this on 10,000, let's just do it as a nine-minuter. Yeah, he maybe just wanted to make something out of it, even if it was just like a nine-minute short. Well, no, what I meant was that denied, like, they're not going to make it, and then maybe he was like, all right, well, I'll make this and try to, you know, at least, at least it'll be, you know, it'll be, it probably was a combo. He did it because he wanted to do it, but he also did it as something It's like, okay, here, he could present it to possible um, producer or whatnot. This is what I want to do only on a, you know, a 90-minute scale or however with X amount of money. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Well, then there is In the Season of Soft Rains. Now, Richard Stanley never vies away from controversy or politics. Quote, This is a global warming assassination epic. In a near-future Great Britain, an American assassin codenamed Archangel is sent to eliminate the last remaining member of a royal family who is leading an underground resistance against the government. Just another <laughs> one that I'm like, yeah, I'd watch that. How about this one? Stray. 
He called it a mutant hybrid big cat horror. It was based on Vicki Allen's debut novel. He described it as a contemporary, sophisticated horror film in the vein of Roman, Pulaski, Roman Polanski's Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby. The ideal between Mila, a cat behavior specialist, and Josh, a dentist, is irrevocably shattered when Pearl, P-U-R-R-L, an unusual albino stray cat comes into their lives, increasing her, in, increasing her sinister hold over the woman. The project was originally supposed to be in 2005, and it just never went anywhere. And I'm going, That's this wrong. one, I'm kind of going, eh, I don't know. That one could Com- be hit or miss. I mean, yeah, and especially comparing it to two uh, Polanski uh, movies, because Polanski can get f***ed, so. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, but but it's not, regardless of, of what he did, which is awful, ha- There there is a particular style there. So I think that that's more or less what they were invoking, not, you know, yeah. not his naughty <laughs> things that he did. I think it's um, just more going for Polanski's aesthetic, not really his uh, personal personal life, which is absolutely awful. The guy should be in prison. I don't know. I think uh, I think it's neat. I think there's potential there. That one uh, sounds like it could have been like a good sort of like B-movie, like giant cat horror. Like, sure, I'm in. How about Death's Other Kingdom? Another unproduced screenplay, which he called a feminist plane crash chiller. It was about a troubled woman and a female air marshal having to confront a dangerous serial killer on a plane that's carrying him to the Scottish Highlands when he escapes on the plane. It sounds a little hmm. like, like, uh, what was that movie, Turbulence Past with Ray Liotta? Oh, oh, tur- well, yeah, tur- well, Turbulence, there was actually a Turbulence trilogy. I, uh, I have never seen the sequels, but I'm aware they exist. They're, they're not good. Was the, well, no, was the third one good. Slade Craven? Oh, it was something ridiculous like that. <laughs> the like, ro- the like, they have a Max concert Power. on the plane, and then a terrorist take it over. It was, that was oh, oh god. god, it was so bad. First and one then, was great, uh, and didn't and didn't they have like and they had like a uh, they were using like a hacker like on the yeah. ground to help them. Like oh, it was so bad. That one actually, <laughs> it was bad, but it was like funny. So I just the remember second, the the like lead bad. singer or or frontman of the band on the plane had some like ridiculous like stupid goth name. Yeah, okay, that's right. It was Turbulence Three, Heavy Metal, Shred. I think god. Shred was Shred was the. the was the dude? I think they should have just made Death's <laughs> Other Kingdom. They they should. I think the the thing is that that's a lot. That's a really cool idea. And I mean, it happened. One was tur- Turbulence was ninety seven. It was a good idea, but it was just really poorly implemented. So I think that uh, it's open for them to try again. No, I thought the first Turbulence was pretty good. At least like Ray Liotta's performance, I remember being pretty creepy. Yeah, Liotta was at least trying. Yeah, the movie itself was just—I think it—it it was just directed bad. It was—it was an idea, and it kind of missed the dartboard. Now, with some of the ones we got coming up here, there's a few that we only have like a one-line sentence from Stanley himself about what these movies were going to be. So we can't get too deep into it. But like, there was one called Breath Play. It's quote an auto asphyxiation psychodrama unquote. That's it. But from Richard Stanley, I think that could have been interesting. Was he going to get David Carradine to play the lead? I still get choked up over that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David. Rest in peace. I don't know. It was meant to be like a psychosexual thriller kind of thing. I, I, I imagine it maybe would have been kind of Giallo-esque. It was going to star uh, Michael Hutchins, but then, you know. Uh-huh. He he died, didn't he? Around that time? Yeah, he died. Of auto-erotic asphyxiation. That's what Cecil's joke was, Peter. Oh, man. <laughs> well, and then another one here we only have a, a quick thing for was straight on till morning. I'm quoting here. 
Revisionist Peter Pan Tale, Pedophilia, Child Abduction, Recovered Memories, and Real-Life Little People, unquote. Wow, his, his ideas just got wilder and wilder through the years, didn't they? Oh, I, yeah. Uh, that would have been better than Hook. I think anything would have been better than Hook. Oh, God, I don't like Hook. But I, I can totally see why Straight On Till Morning was not made, though. Oh, absolutely. I can understand why that wasn't made. But I don't know. I mean, there's been some bizarre movies that I've seen over the years that I'm like, I can't believe they were able to convince somebody to make this. So you never know if you get the right backers. And something like that might not necessarily need that much money. I would it think just... costuming, sets. I would think, I don't know if you could do, even if it's revisionist Peter Pan, because Peter Pan is public domain, so anybody can do Peter Pan and call it that. I, I would think just the inherent all of Neverland or whatever would probably cost money. No, but I, I kind of foresee, like, like, do you remember uh, Heavenly Creatures? They went into, like, this fantasy world, and Heavenly Creatures was not a terribly expensive movie. They did a lot of that with CG, and it worked because everything looked weird and so it wasn't so much like like now a lot of times when they're going into a fantasy world they're supposed to be physically going there and it doesn't look right whereas in something like heavenly creatures they were going into it but it was in like their brain because they were both goofy and so i think like in that case they might have been able to do a lot of that some cg and it would have worked in the context of the film especially if it's all about like suppressing memories and uh you know kids being molested or something i think it would have been a darkly depressed film but it, it would have been interesting it would have been better than the last you know again ragging on peter pan but probably would have been better than the last 15 freaking peter pan movies that they've been putting out rufio 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 oh god <laughs> well uh, how about the never made the wizard of wicklow 20th century journey through the eyes of a deranged vaudevillian who develops miraculous powers after suffering shell shock on the western front that sounds fucking bizarre enough that I'm interested. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I was saying, the, these these pitches get kind of weirder and weirder as we go along. I think Stanley was just probably getting really tired of everything getting rejected. And he's like, screw it. I'm just going to go as crazy as possible with these ideas from now on. Well, I See think some? also he's just a, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, he is just a weird guy. Yeah, he he's is. He's naturally weird. So I think a lot of times it's not even that he's trying to be weird. It's just this is what, he's like, yeah, hey, I think this would be really cool. And it's like the most bizarre thing you could think of <laughs> because his brain just is in a different, is somewhere else. You know? Which is great. That, that it really is a, it's a compliment to him, if anything. A, a true artist. And no, I, I mean yeah. that again, not, you know, not as like, oh, artiste. No, he's, He's an artist. His brain just, it's different. Okay, how about this one, which is another one I, as, as soon as I tell you what the plot was, you're going to go, holy crap, I know why this one wasn't made. The Grinning Gap. The Da Vinci Code meets Necromantic. A novice monk gets into necrophilia, starts talking to the dead, and finds out what really happens when we die. It ain't pleasant, unquote. Awesome. Uh, but I can, oh, I agree. Awesome. But I can totally go, oh, I know why this wasn't made. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I don't think many studios are going to back, like, not only Vatican Da Vinci Code type stuff, but then throwing in necrophilia in there, too. It's like, oh, I would have loved to have seen that, but I can see why it wasn't made. And and what was, it was the grinning... The grinning gap. Grinning gap. The, the grinning gap, which basically is, is a vagina. Yes. So, you know... I, so, that's yeah. why I said, as soon as I read this, you're going to go, I know why this wasn't made. But again, Necromantic 1 and 2 happened, 
And yeah, there... those were German though. Yeah, but they still happened. So I mean, all right, take this idea over to Germany. They seem to be cool with it. Okay, how about Styx? S T Y X. Quote. A cave diving drama centering on the river that flows through hell, unquote. I'm in. Yeah. Sounds like a cool concept. Bunch of, they could probably do like a bunch of vignettes about like the, uh, passengers going through. That would be very cool. Yeah. Like, God, they could make, they, that could have been like a TV series. The visuals you know, like, alone like from Stanley would have been awesome because he's very good at creating those kind of hellish looking landscapes, especially with like, with like Dust Devil. Now again, this is only a four word description, but I'm already in. Pilgrim. African Biker Saga. I'm in. Cool. Sure. I don't know if it almost got made, but there was at least a star attached at one point. Fortunate Son. All it says is a revisionist slavery epic and Wesley Snipes wanted to star. Oh, awesome. Could have been interesting, but also I kind of see why it wasn't made, too. We've been talking about some of the weirder ones. This one sounds a little more straightforward. This one probably could have gotten made. The Language of the Birds. A French pickpocket and an American OSS officer team up to track down a deadly femme fatale in occupied Paris. That one... I don't see how that couldn't have been made. You know what? For Richard Stanley, that one's actually kind of bland. That's pretty straight-laced. Yeah, for Richard Stanley, it's a little bland. Strangely enough, like you said, I mean, that that one has probably the the most potential of having been made, even though it didn't get made. It girl to play the femme fatale and some, like, it dude to play the agent or whatever. Like, that would have been very easy to make. This one, uh, I can kind of see why this one wasn't made. Not in a controversial way, but this one just sounds dull to me. Year Zero. Time travelers return to ancient Galilee and find out the terrible truth. That's it. That one just sounds meh. I don't know. Like, like, I mean, that, that has, he also does a lot of like theology. So I think that would be, uh, an interesting spin. Maybe the, he finds out something about religious context that really changes things. I don't know. I think that one, I mean, I, a lot of times religious movies are boring in the way that he frames things. I think there would have been potential there at least to be something different. Yeah. I mean, with his aesthetic, you don't know what could have come of that. And it's such a vague description. Like, it's only four or five lines. We don't know where he could have taken it. Well, how about this one? Now, this was his first completed screenplay ever. It was uh-huh. Son of Grawl, Grail of Blood. It was, and I'm quoting, a Verhovenesque medieval bodice ripper with gay knights, cannibal bishops, impalements, witch burnings, the plague, and a really neat arrow through the head set piece that I still dream about even now. All that before anyone told me there was no point in trying to write high fantasy, unquote. Oh, that sounds awesome. I, I I could totally see Rudger Hauer starring in it. I don't know why. Rudger Hauer immediately popped into my head. Yeah, I could see that too. That would have been great. That sounds really wild. Or there's Summerisle, what he described as an illegitimate Wicker Man sequel. Obviously to the 1973, say, the 1973 one. I was just going to say Summerisle. <clears throat> Summerisle was the name of the, the location for the Wicker Man. That's why yeah. I immediately I was like, Richard Stanley Wicker Man, yes. <laughs> An illegitimate Wicker Man sequel, as he put it. We get into a weird one here now. Now, a lot of people know The Wild Geese, but a lot of people don't know the Italian sequel, Wild Geese 2. Richard Stanley wrote Wild Geese 3, Mercenaries Never Die, which was completely endorsed by star Roger Moore. 
Huh. He he loved it. It was going to star Agia Argento, and it was a modern day mercenary saga. At the end of the at the end, the House of Commons is infected with a mutant strain of Ebola. The Prime Minister melts. Everyone dies, including Roger Moore. Fed feet first into a shredding machine and a mean spirited twist of the Bond movies. This time, no one rescues him. None of the gadgets work, and he does not leap free with a single mighty bound. Agia Argento was the 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 female lead in the framing sequence, a Palestinian computer expert and a true artist when it comes to new and ever more cunning ways of blowing people to pieces. Predictably, this project stayed in limbo despite the support of Mr. Moore and the original movie's backers, but the script still puts a goofy smile on my face. That would have been awesome. That would have been a great, like, kind of a spin on the whole James Bond thing. The, it, it's mean-spiritedness sounds interesting. Like, it's kind of a way of being subversive with it rather than just being mean with it. Like, I, I think that would have been a very interesting project to see. It probably is a little bit of uh, cathartic for Roger Moore. In yeah. A way, you know, to kind of take some jabs back at, at James Bond. Yeah. Uh, I, come on, that would have been amazing. How many people even know that there's a Wild Geese 2? I, I don't even know what Wild Geese 1 is, to be honest. Oh, it's the... Yeah, what? It's, it's a 70s mercenary film. I think you'd probably really dig it, man. You gotta see Wild Geese, man. I'll have to check it out. I've honestly never seen it. Oh, that played on cable all the time in the 80s. I saw that a ton when I was a kid. But then there was one called Blood Ties. He sums it up as kids battle diseased parents on a remote Scottish island. Okay. Sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or, the, or or there was Loa quote remember Wade Davis and that serpent and the rain and that serpent and the rainbow malarkey well what do you think the American pharmaceutical company wanted the zombie potion for in the first place unquote so sure lacrime my own take on the three mothers mythos one I still enjoy so much I'm not going to say another word for fear of breaking the code of omerta or silentum or whatever you call it okay it was set in the is set in a future Rome and involves global warming the mother goddess a rivalry between corrupt Polizia and the equally corrupt Cabarinary, uh, some Italian word. The processes by which new popes are chosen and, well, blood, so much blood it scares even me, unquote. So just basically his nod to, like, Argento, an yeah, even bigger okay. one than, uh, than hardware was. Cool. I'd be, I'd be up for that. How about a sci-fi exploitation movie? Scourge. Aging space inquisitor Father Calvis and his loyal scribe are dispatched to root out heresy and strange new alien sins on a planet of desperate women. People get crucified on wind turbines, the Mother Superior is eaten by genetically modified locusts, and all the space nuns know martial arts. In true Scooby-Doo fashion, Father Clavis discovers the demonic apparitions and related murders are a fraud designed by the very theocracy he represents in order to stamp out nonconformists and to force the wayward colonists to return to the bosom of Mother Church. You know what? I am 100 fucking percent in on Scourge. That just sounds oh, like an exploitation God. classic. Yes. Would love yeah. to see that. It sounds yeah. like it takes itself seriously enough and just not seriously enough to work. Just enough tongue-in-cheek to make it fun and just enough, like, genuine belief in the story to make it also give it that kind of unintentional humor kick as well. Then there is also Providence. A Lovecraftian biopic focusing on his last days and lonely gut-wrenching demise while still salvaging some small degree of optimism from the from the cancerous dregs. Again, the specters of racism and anti-Semitism are invoked and balanced against the author's works, arguing that sometimes we have to tolerate even the very worst in human nature for the sake of what is best in all of us. Sometimes you have to drink, sometimes you have to drink a bottle all the way to the dregs to know its true taste, unquote. Him doing a Lovecraft biopic? Yes. 
That would have been excellent for sure. Floriano. The true story of utopian German colony that goes to hell on the Galapagos includes sharks, manhunts, volcanic, volcanic eruptions, a self-proclaimed pirate queen, Angelica Houston, contesting the blonde ubermensch for control of the island, mass murder, a Jewish leading lady, and a gigantic man-eating razorback, hot dub the satanic boar. That sounds great. <laughs> I'm still trying to process all of it. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll, I'd absolutely watch that. Is it sad that we're still going on about all these movies he hasn't made? The Catacomb Club, an urban horror film about rat people coming out of the London under, underground. He wrote it in the early 1990s for Michael Suave. Oh, f- Oh, my God. Oh, that would have been awesome. Suave is such a fantastic director, so it would have been great to see him handle that material. Well, then there's Dark Continent, a mythical suspense thriller a myth- mythical suspense thriller series that was supposed to have Arnold Vosloo in the lead. More or less, he wanted to turn this into a TV show. He said he wrote this as a feature-length pilot episode. It was based on the on the ancient myth of Phoenician slavers who ravaged the continent 3,000 years ago, killing or enslaving thousands of locals. In 1200 BC Africa, one of the most tyrannical of the invading Phoenician kings, Karasu, is buried in the bowels of a dormant volcano with eight of the strongest African slaves chained to the sarcophagus to serve the king in the afterlife. One of these is a witch doctor. Blood oath is made among the men as the tomb and their fates are sealed forever. The plot then leapfrogs to the present where in the midst of a civil war, a military government a, a military government is engaged in the secret construction of a suburban, of a subterranean base to enhance its power over the enemy. One of these bases is inadvertently situated in the ancient tomb of the Phoenician king and when the staff are at the, and the, when the, staff at the base are mysteriously decimated, a crack squad of soldiers are sent in to investigate. That one's a little complicated, but it's a still... A little bit, yeah. B- but a as a pilot there, for a series, another... you know, in the in the Hulu Netflix day, I could actually see that working. That would be excellent. As like a, as like a five, ten-part miniseries or, or something, or even like three or four, would have been great. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Or he, he wrote a movie for Takahashi McKay. Oh, the, the Secret Life of Lord Masari. He all he said it was a samurai epic written for Takahashi or Takashi. Okay, yeah, Takashi McKay. Okay, those two with McKay's visuals and Stanley's writing, you've got a masterpiece no one would ever release. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. Then, then we have his most, what might be his most famous, besides maybe Hardware 2, unmade film. And that is Vacation, which I think is a terrible title, but the premise is fantastic. Mm. It would take place, it was supposed to take place contemporarily, this was around 2005. Bruce Campbell and Denise Richards are a couple, she's a stripper, he's just kind of a, a lowly accountant kind of guy. They're, they go to vacation in a in a Middle Eastern tourist resort. And then we never find out what it is, but something happens and America is destroyed. Whether it's a nuke, whether it's a meteor, he said, we never find out what happens, but America is gone. All of a sudden, their credit cards don't work, their money is worthless, they're trapped in a somewhat hostile area with no way to get out and no home country. And it was about them having to find one another again while trying to figure out what's going next. It's an intimate holocaust for for a too bitchy blood-soaked farce with a runaway body count played out against the backdrop of a wider calamity, the coming apocalypse of mankind. That could have been really cool. It came close this, to happening. This one only didn't happen 
because Bruce Campbell got the lead role in Burn Notice and was therefore unavailable. So this one only didn't happen because Bruce Campbell got Burn Notice. I mean, it's good that he got Burn Notice because obviously that that kept him him relevant for a lot longer. Like that that role got him a lot of money and it got him a lot and, of work. And he was great in in Burn Notice. I think the first three notice, seasons yeah. were fantastic. But it's like I'm, if they could have just waited like six months. You know, like, like, look, let's, let's get this in the can and then you can go do burn notice, you know. I mean, but I, I understand, I don't fault him for taking the, the burn notice role, you know, cause you don't know. I mean, that's, it's a little more complicated, but it's, it's still, it's just a shame. Cause, but once he was out, then the backers left. I think and, he probably just knew that the, the TV work was going to be a little more prosperous for him because he had done the B movies and stuff for so long. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to try this, this TV thing. Take it a little more seriously rather than like, you know, glorified cameos, uh, in stuff like Xena and Hercules. It's like, let's, let's see. Let's see where I can take this burn notice thing. And I'm glad. I'm glad he did it because it really helped his career out a lot more and it helped to introduce a lot more people to him. And it's like, it's no offense to Stanley, but I doubt that movie would have gone all that far other than with like more niche audience people like us. So I, think just like financially and stability wise it was the right choice it seemed like all the funding was based on bruce campbell because after he got burned notice stanley was still trying to move forward and he replaced him with dean kane who obviously he's no bruce campbell but 2005 era dean kane i could see playing a similar type role Mm. so that's not bad but the backers were no longer interested it was we're only back in this movie as a bruce campbell film I, I wonder if, I wonder if Stanley, let's say, cause right now he just made, we don't have a trailer yet, but he just made Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage. I wonder if this is a success. Cause Bruce Campbell's not too old. I wonder if you could go back and do Vacation. Obviously the, po- the politics have changed a lot since 2005 of what oh, the yeah. situation would be. I actually think Bruce could still do this. Denise Richards, fine. She's basically replaceable. I still think Bruce Campbell could do this. I hope Richard Stanley still tries to make this after Color Out of Space comes out. I'd like to see them both come back, to be honest, because I like both Bruce Campbell and Denise Richards. I think it'd be fun to see the full project come together again. I could see her being like an older stripper, you know, like, because, I mean, that's kind of what it... like she's she's a little like for lack of a better description she's a little haggard now Mm. and uh i think she could uh could you know it's not wild things days anymore so i think that uh there would be potential to do that and uh instead of you know setting bruce campbell up with uh somebody who's like 20 you know you're setting him up he's not tom cruise yeah, he's oh, not yeah. Tom Cruise. Cause to, uh, does Tom Cruise ever make a movie where no matter how old he gets, he's always the love interest is like a late 20s girl? To be fair, Tom Cruise looks 30. He does. No, I, he doesn't. I saw the, the recent Mission he, Impossible movie. He he looked the same age as Henry Cavill. He, he like, it's ridiculous, you know. I mean, granted, I know he dyes his hair and whatnot, but still. Still his he, face. <laughs> his face, like he's, he's in tip-top shape. He, I mean, the dude really just uh, he's got clean eating and you know maybe a little bit of plastic surgery but it, he, most likely but good plastic surgery i don't know yeah. i've seen but still the dude looks fantastic and so that's that's the case zenu like, for you yeah yeah it's well i don't know man because how many uh scientologists the, they don't they don't have the tom cruise juice so well, yeah, that's because he's a higher level Phaeton, man. 
Oh, that's right. He's he is uh purged himself of of all the thetans with his uh what are, what are the the rods the the cobalt rods or whatever and Scientology I, I, lunacy. Scientology is just nuts. But uh, that I, but anyway, yeah, I would absolutely be on board with that. I hope uh, I I'm just hoping that Color of Space is a hit simply because I want more Richard Stanley stuff. I've been I've been crowing about him for for years about how much I love the guy's work and mm-hmm. I just am overwhelmed. I want I want more. I want more than two movies. Well, yeah. now we're going to get three, you know? Well, because, like I said at the beginning of this, now, I love Orson Welles, but I think he is one of the most screwed-over filmmakers out there, and Richard Stanley is coming in a close second. Richard Stanley just does not seem to be able to catch a fucking break, and that is just heartbreaking, because I think the man is a true visionary. You look at not just the two films he's done, all the short films, the music videos. The man knows how to do so much with nothing. Hollywood should be ashamed of itself for how it's treated Richard Stanley and Orson Welles. Absolutely agreed. The, the guy deserved to get way more work than he actually ended up getting. And we deserve to see more of the, more of the stuff he made because he obviously had a real passion for making different kind of films. And it really sucks that we only got to really see two. Cause I mean, okay, Cecil, when we talked to him, could the guy have been fucking nicer? Oh, dude, he was such a class act. Like, uh, he was just really great. He, he was just down to earth. He was completely open. He was willing to talk about just about anything. He even said, at the, he's like, I'll talk about Dr. Moreau. He's like, but really, there's nothing left to talk about. It's all it in the documentary. Like, it's all in the documentary. So it's like, <laughs> he was open about it, but it was just, it was going to be redundant at that point. But it was just great and refreshing to hear because there are times where you go to talk to somebody and they're like, okay, well, we can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. He was just open. He's like, I'll talk about whatever you want. And we chatted with him well over the scheduled time. Like oh, we okay. Were... What, what, what you people heard in the episode was the interview. Cecil and I talked to him for almost another hour after that. We were just shooting the shit about movies. Hmm. Yeah, he was, he was great. He was just classic. I, I was just, uh, I was doing my best to, to not just completely fangirl about. <laughs> well, okay. Let's see. No, he, here's, here's the thing about Stanley. Now, he's not the only one who does this, but there are so, there are so few modern filmmakers that have such a distinct visual style that you can, I mean, there's Rob Zombie and there's some others where you can immediately go, okay, that's a Rob Zombie movie. This feels Rob Zombie. Richard Stanley is one of those guys. You look at some of those music videos. It doesn't matter if you have any idea. You can be four seconds into the video and you're like, wow, am I getting a Richard Stanley vibe off this? Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. That's why Hollywood needs someone like Richard Stanley. I don't care if you love all the DC movies, you love the Marvel movies, they all look the same. It doesn't matter who directs any of the Marvel movies. It doesn't matter who directs any of the DC movies. It doesn't matter who directs any, any of the YA but movies. The they all movies. look the same. Say, you're going to say the Zack Marvel Snyder films does are not... a little more homogenized looking for sure, but I don't think you can really say that about the DC ones, at least the ones that were directed by Snyder, because he does have his own look. I do see what you're saying. All the DC movies are interchangeable in terms of visual style. I'm talking in in the extended universe. All the Marvel movies have that same 
flat, boring, sort of grayish look no matter who directs it. People like Stanley are necessary in Hollywood, but Hollywood doesn't want to deal with him because he's dangerous. Look at some of those plots I read off. No Hollywood studio is going to touch that shit. But that's what Hollywood needs. They need necrophiliac priests. <laughs> it's just funny in a sense. Uh, you're completely wrong about the, the DC. I agree with you on the Marvel things. They're, they're made specifically they, to all look like part of a bigger thing. And I kind of have problems with that, but that's beyond that. It's a very DC homogenized aesthetic for sure. For you're the completely wrong. Snyder has his own style, but I'm he not going to get into that. It's just funny because if you go back and you look at a lot of the directors that are now prominent today, Sam Raimi, James Wan, they all had, they all started in these very unusual small trenches films. The, you know, the, the, the trenches. They, you know, you had what I'm saying. You had like Sam Raimi did The Evil Dead. Yeah, James Wan did Saw, and it's like they are now multi-million dollar huge directors who have a very specific style. They wouldn't be making the the conjuring universe and the spider-man movies and all that if they weren't able to do that little weird movie that nobody had faith in studios need to recognize that that it's like if you're going to have the next big multi-million dollar blockbuster director or somebody who's doing things that are out there different you need to hire people who look differently who do things differently you don't want to keep hiring the same guys because that's how you end up with these media music video looking garbage films but at the same time you have something like sam raimi he used to have a distinct style you look at his 80s stuff his early 90s stuff you go wow that's sam raimi again look at like the iggy pops the iggy pop music video he directed you immediately go holy crap that is sam raimi but you look at everything sam raimi's mm -hmm. done since about 2000 and up he doesn't have that style anymore. Hollywood sucked no. that style out of him. Same with James Wan. You look at James Wan from Saw and you look at him to Aquaman and you're like, I, you, I'd never guess this was the same guy. Hollywood well, sucks be, the style from these people. If I'm being honest regarding Aquaman, that one does just kind of look like a Marvel movie. Like that Aquaman one was like, horrible. It looks like it could have been directed by like Joss Whedon. It has that same sort of color palette. Like I'll agree with you regarding that for the DC stuff, but not so much with Zack Snyder. I do think he has a unique approach, but I do agree that some of these directors that started out with the smaller movies, like Sam Raimi's movies look very interchangeable now. Like, like even, um, What's that one? Drag me, drag me to hell doesn't really have much of a unique yeah, look to it. You know, Sam James Raimi, Wan's movies. Are Sam a Raimi more, lost his style. Yeah, it, it has more of like a neutral color palette now. Instead of like, like in Saw, he really focused on like greens and blues and reds and stuff. It was a lot of like very bold looking noir, neo noir esque color palette choices. Even Tim Burton. I mean, compare Tim Burton from like '89 Batman to Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton. Like, the, this, this style has completely changed and become this homogenized thing. Yeah, and Richard Stanley has that style. Like, I, I recommend go up and look up the music video for the Fields of the Nephilim song Preacher Man. Four seconds into that, you're going to go, holy crap, this is Richard Stanley. Because he just, he has, I, I think he can't even help it. And, and that's a good way, because everything <laughs> from Richard Stanley, with the exception of Mother of Toads, that one he did for the, that short for the Theater Bazaar movie, which, sorry, Richard, I think is the worst thing you've ever done, <laughs> that one didn't feel like Stanley at all. 
And I don't know why. Everything else he's done, you immediately go, man, his style is just oozing out of the frame. I think Richard Stanley is a filmmaker that deserves better. And I'm hoping after Color Out of Space, he will get better. And maybe some of these unreleased screenplays that we just talked about, will they'll go back and go, hey, maybe we should look at these again. But in the meantime... Where can people find Peter lamenting the fact that he can't watch many of these weird necrophiliac priest movies? Uh, at, at the moment, you can just find me going back to bed. Uh, but at any other point, there's uh, you can locate me on Twitter, at Cinematica, Facebook, the Cinemasticist, YouTube, the Cinemasticist, obviously on 1201beyond.com with other fine programming. And on some of those, you'll definitely find me lamenting about the movies that should have been and the movies that are underrated that are that deserve to be shared uh, a lot more often to a lot more people. Also, my Patreon, at Zinematica. Please donate to it. Uh, donate to all of our Patreons, honestly. We're, we're we're busting our asses for you guys, and even a buck a month would really really help us out and uh, improve the quality of our lives. Cecil? find me being very sad and watching the director's cut of Dust Devil, which he, Stanley, had to forcibly buy back from the studio and fix it himself. Dust Devil, That thing that Miramax released was was not my movie. Dust Devil is one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. It's a great-looking film, and uh, sadly, uh, the people who have seen it have usually only seen the version that uh, came out in you know, the 90s, and uh, it's that's not the movie. The, the movie is what is currently in, like, the uh, Dust Devil box set that Stanley had released a few years back. But anyway, uh, you could find me talking about all that kind of stuff over at goodbadflix.com, uh, as well as goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. Remember the Adam and Eve codes. Remember that we have a Patreon. And you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, Go watch Hardware, go watch Dust Devil, go watch some of Stanley's music videos or short films. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.